For tuning into the 397th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Arrows, Daryl, D Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you've been listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, as always. Gonna have a great pop for you guys. Gonna have Harrison Fagan. Uh, editor-in-chief of the Silver Screen and Roll, covers everything Los Angeles Lakers. I have a great conversation with him. We talk about Westbrook, how he has not fit in uh, with the Lakers this year, LeBron James, the subtle passive-aggressive messages. We get into some rumors that have percolated through with the Lakers throughout the year. And just a great conversation about Lakers basketball. <clears throat> now, before I get to the conversation with Harrison, I'm going to give my shameless plug, as always. First-time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, click on the timestamp, and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it's for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain underscore Lane. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You will find it. I post three to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, before we get to the conversation that I had with Harrison, I'm going to give one of my monologues that my friend Kenny Sim loves so much. So Aaron Rodgers, uh, there have been reports that he's still mulling over his decision what to do with the Packers. He came on Pat McAfee's show, I think this Wednesday or Tuesday, and was like, not going to break any news here. Well, folks, I'm going to break the news. I'm going to tell you, Aaron Rodgers is gone. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. It's just that simple. And, and here's why I know that this is going to happen and that they're ending towards a divorce. In life, there are tells with people, right? When you're texting a girl and she all of a sudden stops texting you for weeks. She blocks you on her social media platforms. She cuts off all contact with you. You don't need to find out a year later that she got a new boyfriend to know that she was no longer interested in in you in that moment she would have texted back if she was interested in you you know about the 10th text two weeks later when she hasn't responded it's not because she wasn't on her phone it's because she didn't want to talk to you when you apply for a job you don't hear back from them in months and then all of a sudden you hear now they're up for the finalist positions the candidates for the specific job you want to know why you weren't a finalist because they didn't get back to you. And when they say after the job interview, we'll let you know two to three weeks if you get the job, if you're a finalist for the job, which now two to three months and you still haven't heard, then you read in the paper or you get that little email blast or whatever it is. Hey, for this job, finalist positions are coming up, the round of interviews. You know what it was. Some things you don't need to ask. Some These are just certain tells. When your friends, or supposedly not friends, right? When they go out to parties, they go out to bars, they go out to clubs, they do all these activities together, the guys, right? Or gals. 
weekend. You're never invited. That's because they don't want you there. Probably should find a new group of friends who are more reliable. Aaron Rodgers, what has happened this year that would make anyone think that he is coming back to Green Bay? Devontae Adams, his best wide receiver, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL, his football soulmate, right? A guy that he wants back in Green Bay for sure, a guy that he has great chemistry with. Green Bay is going to purportedly let him test free agency. You think that makes Aaron happy? Aaron Rodgers gave an emotional Instagram post thanking everybody in Green Bay. Why do you have to give an emotional post thanking everybody for what they've done? I'll tell you this. I was coaching wrestling at Amherst this year, my alma mater in high school. I gave everybody an emotional and passionate thank you and gave them hugs and goodbyes and told them how much I cared about them because I'm moving. By the way, I just broke some news. I'm moving to Philadelphia. That's why I did it. If I wasn't moving, I wouldn't have hugged those guys and gave them a long embrace. You know, embrace. You want to know why I did it, though? Because I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone. I'm not going to be back next year. Aaron Rodgers is doing this because, in his mind, he's already preparing, planning to leave. Aaron Rodgers also, he already wanted a trade. He requested a trade this past offseason. They lost in the divisional round. They did worse than they did the previous two years when he was unhappy. So what makes you think this year he's going to be more happy? And then there are multiple reports that the Packers are taking a lot of trade offers right now. There is nothing that has happened this year that would make anyone in their right mind think that Aaron Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay or he wants to be back in Green Bay. There is absolutely nothing. So what would reasonable minds make you believe the tells? Like I said... <clears throat> When the girl doesn't text back after the 10 text messages two weeks later, it means she's not interested. When all these things happen, Aaron requests a trade. You do worse the next year. You are maybe not bring back his top wide receiver. All this stuff is going on. You give an emotional Instagram post. Those are the tells that you're not planning on being back. You probably won't be back. Now I want to get into this report. Per Adam Schefter. The San Francisco 49ers don't really want to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Why? Because Trey Lance isn't ready. Now, folks who've been listening to the podcast, and I hope you guys have, so you get all the good football knowledge, right? I had Jimmy Garoppolo sixth on my QB big board in the last draft. I had Trey, uh, Trevor Lawrence number one, Zach Wilson number two, Justin Fields number three, Mac Jones number four, Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M at number five, and then Trey Lance at number six. I had a second round grade on Trey Lance. My opinions from Trey Lance in the beginning were that he was extremely raw. This was a guy who in high school was recruited to play the safety position going into college. Uh, college offenses, they're not very advanced. They're more run-oriented than pass-oriented. He went to a college in North Dakota State, which is a run-based team, simplistic passing schemes, one read and go. A lot of the times, uh, he always had the lead, never had to throw it more than 30 times. I think he only probably did that once was that last, uh, they had like a throwaway game at the end of the year because of COVID, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so he hasn't thrown a lot, right? Uh, hasn't got a chance to really play the quarterback position, dig in deep to the QB position. And it doesn't shock me that he's not ready. He's extremely raw. But here's the concerning thing, right? Here is the very concerning thing. I had Jimmy Garoppolo as the 18th best quarterback in the NFL this past year. He's average, certifiably 
without a doubt, undeniably, average C, right? The grade they gave you in school, C. And Trey Lance can't beat him out. That just shows Trey Lance is very, very raw. We're not talking about Aaron Rodgers not being able to beat out Brett Favre, the Hall of Fame quarterback. We're not talking about Steve Young not being able to beat out Joe Montana, a Hall of Fame quarterback. We're talking about Trey Lance not being able to beat out Jimmy G. A average starting QB who's often hurt, will make bad decisions sometimes, and San Francisco thought so little of him, they traded three to four first-round picks in last year's draft to replace him. That's the guy we're talking about. And Trey Lance can't beat him out. So Trey Lance can't beat him out. Where does Trey Lance fall in the hierarchy of the NFL? Is he better than Jalen Hurts? Jalen Hurts is the guy I'd have like around the 22nd QB in the NFL. Could he beat out Baker, who's like 24th, 25th in the NFL? Like, Trey Lance is probably close to being the 30th best QB in the NFL. And this is another serious question. Could he beat out Mitch Trubisky, somebody who I think is a very good backup? About all the backups, because Trey Lance is a backup. Could he beat out Mitch Trubisky? I don't think he could beat out Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky's probably a 40-ish quarterback in the NFL, right? 40th? The point here is Trey Lance is nowhere close to taking over for the 49ers. And this is bad because you can't have Trey Lance start over Jimmy because people in the locker room, they know what's up. The real ones know. You can't play with these guys, these men, their chance to win a Super Bowl by putting in Trey uh, for Jimmy when Trey hasn't earned it. You have to earn it by beating the guy out fair and square or at least be close enough where guys can reasonably think, oh, he has the potential. There's something else they can do. But if it's just clearly that Jimmy G's just outright beating him in camp, then there's nothing you can do unless you trade Jimmy. And then Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are looking around like, why would we trade Jimmy? We just got to an NFC Championship game with him. We got to Super Bowl with him, and he's way better. So why would we get worse at the position? Just because of draft assets? That doesn't make any sense. Their job is to win every year. That's their job. Because I guarantee you, then there's going to be all these rumblings about Shanahan losing record, losing record, losing record. People always mention that with Kyle Shanahan, how he has an under 500 record as a coach in the NFL. If you want to know what's going to happen, if they start and trot out Trey Lance, particularly in the NFC West, the toughest division in football, the reigning Super Bowl champs, the LA Rams, you have... The Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, championships. You have Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray, great player. MVP frontrunner for half the first half of the year. NFC West is super tough. You start a first-year starter in there with Trey Lance who doesn't really know what he's doing, and things can go downhill quick, fast, and in a hurry. And you could be a Seattle team like how Seattle was last year, and you could be 6-11 and looking out of the playoffs, wondering, What's our next answer without a first-round pick? At least you have Jimmy. You have a guy who, okay, we know what he is. We're going to be solid. We're going to win 10, 11, maybe 12 games, and we can get to the NFC Championship. We can get to a Super Bowl. Maybe we'll get lucky and we can win it. And it puts the 49ers in a conundrum. It really, really does. But I told everybody. I told everybody, and I told you. Trey is not ready. You overdrafted a second-round pick. You overdraft the second round pick. And here's the issue. When we draft guys based on potential, what they can be, because what you can be is different from what you will be and what you will be at a certain point. Right? Everybody always thinks. I think this is the one thing we do in sports. We're always like, hey, Tom Brady's the best quarterback in the NFL. 
because he has all these rings. No, he's not. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, even Matthew Stafford. All these guys are better. Justin Herbert, they're better football players than Tom Brady at this point in Tom Brady's career pretty clearly. Tom Brady just has the championships. Now, Tom Brady in 2009, 2011, 2012, that's a different story. But we're not talking about Tom Brady in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. We're talking about Tom Brady in 2021, 2022 NFL season. We're not talking about how good Trey Lance could potentially be in 2030 when he's like 26, 27, 28, and he's in his physical prime, his mental prime. We're talking about what Trey Lance is coming off a pandemic where he had no football season, was a backup QB, had limited reps, and is still developing. You see the difference? You see how that works? Very, very different. So that's just what I wanted to get off my chest. So, kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports, we're going to have Harrison Fagan on the show. Talk some Lakers basketball. Coming up next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Harrison Fagan with us, editor-in-chief of the Silver Screen and Roll. How you doing, man? You know, I'm doing all right. It's been busy a couple days in Lakerland, unexpectedly, but uh, I'm, I'm doing good, I, and I appreciate you having me back. So, first question, probably a question you've gotten all the time, something you've pondered. How did the Lakers end up where they are right now? Because if I told you at the beginning of the year, you know, they'd have a losing record, it, they'd be a team that, let alone contenders, they're trying to contend just to get into the playoffs right now. How shocked would you have been? Pretty shocked. I was uh, I was fairly optimistic on this team going into the year. I thought that the rough trade would give them sort of the secondary ball handler, star insurance type of thing that they've been looking for. You know, especially they were looking for the year before from Dennis Schroeder. Like, I was like, okay, there's no way that Russ is going to be worse than what Dennis gave them. And little did I know... You know, it actually has turned out far worse than that, in part because of the cap implications of his contract and whatever. Like, play-wise, I don't know that he's been, you know, that different from what Dennis was giving them. But, um, like, I just thought that it was, okay, this is like a souped-up version of Dennis Schroeder. You get a guy to kind of handle some of the ball-handling load while LeBron is on the bench. You can amp up the pace. You know, surely they've talked to him, and it sounds like he's, you know, amped about doing these little things and finally trying to win in his hometown. And then it's like, okay, yeah, like none of that came to pass. He hasn't been very good star insurance. Really, the only times he's been good, and it's kind of funny that this was gone. You know, the, the the national narrative I feel like is kind of, especially on Russ, is kind of off from what the actual problems have been. Like the problem has not been when Russ is, you know, that Russ is like not allowed to be Russ or whatever. It's like he's not good at doing those things anymore. He's been decent when he's been in kind of that third option role. But the Lakers have barely had LeBron and AD at the same time, and so that's where most of their issues trace back to. This is not me being like, oh, after some season, Lakers would have been fine if they're healthy. No, like there's clearly deep structural flaws here, and Russ can't be a lot of what they were hoping he would be in terms of insurance for that kind of stuff. But I think that in terms of like, you know, how can these three fit together? Can they make it work? I think the jury is still a little bit out on that, although with this recent injury to AD and kind of his, you know, pretty bad timeline, I would say, like, I think, you know, this season, they're not going to figure it out or 
whatever. But I, I do think that, you know, this has gone worse than I ever could have expected. So, yeah, if you would have told me that at the beginning of the season, I would have been pretty surprised. So you think that – could they still run it back with this team next year? Uh, well, no. Uh, like, because I, I just think that, you know, the lesson that you learn from this year is that, you know, Russ is not that kind of star insurance guy that you thought that he could be anymore. I, I think that, you know, the situation has just become so toxic and cancerous, like in terms of just the dynamics and him feuding back and forth with Frank Vogel in the media. And now, you know, you got LeBron and, you know, his camp going back and forth with the Lakers in the media. And like, I, this has just been such a disaster that I think everybody needs to start over i just think that you know and i also don't know that everybody approached it with necessarily the right mindset from going into the season they're like oh we're gonna waste 20 games starting deandre jordan you know because who could have expected that that would have clogged up the paint and made ad look real bad and made russ look really bad and all that stuff and then it's just like i think this has just gone so wrong that i don't know that like on a personal level that you can really come back from this and just like bring everyone back and hope for better you know stuff in the next year i mean you know, you never say never because he's under contract for almost, like, $50 million next year. Uh, so, like, you know, the reality is he may be back if they just can't find a way to use their two first-round picks to kind of trade, exchange him for maybe, you know, a couple more players that are above the minimum and sort of balance this roster out a little bit. Uh, but, like, you know, there's always the possibility that they end up having to run it back, but it's not going to be their, like, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, run-on-down-the-list option. How do you think Russ has handled all of this? It seemed like he was having some issues with Frank. He didn't like being benched. People have suggested he be the sixth man. It would work better. How do you think all that's gone? Yeah, so I, on a human level, I empathize with Russ, right? Because he's being asked, he's the one that it's like he's being asked to change the most. And he's the one with the least amount of power in the situation in that, like, you know, he wanted to be here, but it was not like, you know, him wanting to be here. Like, he did not he did not have any power to exert over Rob Lincoln to make this. Like, when you're running down the decision makers that brought him here, like, sure, he wanted to be here, but it's LeBron, it's Rob, it's AD, like, it's all those people down the line that really wanted to make this happen that sort of brought him here. But then yet, you know, when he goes out there and he's trying to change his game, he's trying to become a player that he's never been before, you know, whether or not, like, there have been times where he's gone out and I feel like he's approached the game in the right way and kind of done things, but it's like, you know, if the Lakers lose, He's the scapegoat, and he's been the scapegoat for the entire year. And so, like, I do empathize with him because I do think that, like, he has become a popular, like, catch-all for, like, oh, this team won a title two years ago around LeBron and AD, so it's all Russell's fault that they suck. And I just don't think that that's true, but I do think that his contract has kind of, like, imposed some limitations on them financially and structurally with the way that they built the roster and all that stuff. So, again, this is not me saying he's blameless, but I think on a human level I empathize with him. That said you know, that long preamble, preface, whatever, I think he has handled this about as poorly as he possibly could have. You mentioned the kind of going back and forth with Frank Vogel. You know, I think that there have been times where, you know, he's just decided, okay, I'm going to go do me. I'm going to go do my thing. And, you know, I, I, I'm still a star. I don't have to care about defense. I don't have to do these little things. And, you know, I, I think that we've started to see the last couple games before the All-Star break a little bit of a shift in priorities. And he kind of went back to doing some of the cutting, you know, screening, a dunker spot placement stuff that he was doing when he had success at times this year but it's definitely been really up and down and I think he's handled it about as poorly as he possibly could have especially when it comes to you know like just going back and forth with his coach and the media and you know the stuff on national TV 
TV with the Bucks and all that. So, yeah. How much do you think all this hurts Russell Westbrook's legacy as being viewed as a winning player? Because come from the outside looking in, this looks like the perfect situation how this has all kind of gone downhill quick, fast, and in a hurry. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, obviously, like, I saw some stuff this weekend online of, like, people were trying to say that, oh, they're, like, Russ should not be a top 75 player. Like, no. Like, Russ, he won an MVP. Like, Russ was really, really good. Uh, I do think that this is going to end up hurting his legacy. I don't know that it's, like, entirely fair because this is about as bad in retrospect of, like, a bad. And, again, I'm somebody who was for the Russ trade. Like, I thought that this could work. But now when we learn what we've learned kind of about his habits and the way that he approaches the game and these kind of things, like, this is as bad of a basketball fit as it really could have been for him. And I don't think that it's impossible. Like, he could have gone to a situation where his talents were a little bit more needed and could be viewed as a winning player. But, yeah, I mean, when you're making $44 million and you're the highest-paid player on the team and you don't care at all on defense, and, like, you know, you're going back and forth with your coach in the media, whatever, because he's asking you to, like, like he's holding you accountable defensively. He's asking you to kind of do these little things, and you don't like it because that's not who you are. You play the game your way. Like, you know, oh, you're laughing at the idea of them using you as a point guard. Ha-ha, that's funny because, like, you know, it's, it's taking a shot at the coaching staff. Like, they haven't been using me as a point guard. You know, it's like sort of there's this, like, tendency, I think, by him to kind of, you know, I, I think he has been unfairly scapegoated, but I also think that he has not necessarily looked inward with the correct amount of blame for what has gone on or taken the correct personal responsibility for, you know, certain things. And in terms of him, you know, his defense, his failure on defense, do you think that's more of just age-related or do you think that just effort-related? Uh, I think it's a little age-related. I think it's a lot effort-related. You know, he just, you know, you watch these games, he just goes to sleep sometimes and like he's or he's just taking a breather you know as stars do like when he was okc rough like mvp triple double yeah i mean you don't count on those guys to give their all on every single possession defensively because they're carrying such a huge burden on the other end he's not doing that anymore and so you can't just kind of like miss rotations try to switch everything you know all this little stuff that like just go to lose track of your man ball watch all these things like you know it's just Come on, man. You've been in the league, like, how many years? Like, over a decade now. Like, you know these things. You're choosing not to do them. Do you think... What do you think the Lakers could theoretically get back for Russell Westbrook? That's a good question. I honestly do not really have the answer for that. Um, I, I do think, though, just in broader terms, that the, you know... His contract right now is, I think, justifiably viewed as, like, a toxic asset and that the Lakers would have to, you know, attach stuff to get off of. I think this summer that starts to change a little bit, and I think this is a little bit of the calculus that the team was going through at the deadline was, is this season salvageable? I think they very clearly settled on the answer, no, it is not. And they decided, okay, can we fix it this summer? Do we have a chance to? And I think that that is sort of what they're betting on in that, you know, this summer they have the 2027 and 2029 first. If you have that, plus Russ's, you know, almost $50 million contract, I do think that there is going to be a team that where the executive has a certain level of job security where they feel like they may be around in, you know, six years or five or six years or so from now. And they're like, okay, this is going to be potentially a really good asset because, you know, I'm looking over there. I see these guys are like feuding with LeBron in the media. Who knows how long, how much longer he's even going to be there at age 37. Um, you know, and then after that, it's going to be run by Rob Polinka and the Rambi. Like, you know, but this might be a pretty good asset for five years from now. And so 
when you have rough on it firing and you have two first round picks to attach to it, I do think that that is something that will be able to get them some helpful players or a helpful player, you know, more so than it was the, de- the deadline when, you know, teams are, they're in season, so you have roster limitations, all that stuff. During the off season, more teams have cap space. They can, you know, y- you can make more complicated trades work because you're not trying to fuel the roster to go play a game that night. Who do you think deserves the most blame? If like you're ranking blame, like Palenka, LeBron, Russ, like like how does the blame game go? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think I think you sort of have to put it on Palenka almost by default, and I say this because it's like you know, yeah, part of the way that they got LeBron was through you know this kind of like. I don't want to say, like, devil's bargain or whatever, but they made this, like, sort of bargain with, you know, clutch sports that, like, okay, we are going to cater to you. Look how we treat our players. Look how we treat our stars. Like, we are going to make sure that LeBron is taken care of and protect his legacy and, you know, give him what he wants and create an organization where he can win. And then, you know, so I get it. That's how you got LeBron James. But you have to be willing to say no to your stars sometimes. And I don't think that Kalinka has necessarily developed that ability until now it's the trade deadline when it's like you're already, you've dug your own grave, and then now you're like trying to, you know, pump your chest out. It's like, well, you know, there were no good deals at the deadline. So we, you know, we decided as an organization to not do that and piss them off, you know, by denying them now when like, it's like, look, I get it. AD and LeBron like helped make this mess by pushing so hard, as hard as they did for the rough move. But Polinka was also not like everybody acts like he was like held hostage and he had no choice but to make the rough trade. Like he was on board with the rough trade. You you go back and you watch that press conference. He was out there, you know, having himself up on stage with Russ, taking full credit for the move. Look at the uh, I brought the hometown kid to Los Angeles. This is the Kobe disciple. Like Kobe used to always tell me how great this guy was. Like he was really out front with and proud of this move. And it's like now, you know, if you read the media leaks, now we're expected to believe that no one wanted the rough trade. No one in the Lakers signed off on it. LeBron, you know, LeBron was trying to move him at the deadline now. Like, Rob didn't want the trade. You know, LeBron and Clutch Sports, they didn't push for the trade. It's like, no one pushed for the trade. Rush, Russ just magically ended up on the Lakers. But I, I think ultimately that kind of stuff does come down on the GM because as much as he, there are other GMs that have gotten stars to come to their teams and been willing to say no to them when they have bad ideas and things like that. And I think that Polinka. This was a time where, again, I'm, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I was for the move at the time. I was on board with it, too, so I would have made the same mistake. But I think ultimately, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, the players, as much as they can push, LeBron was still under contract for, like, three more years at that point, or two more years uh, at that point. And so, you know, you, maybe he's mad that you don't go and trade for Russ, and maybe he's a little passive-aggressive at first, but if you're really going to tank the whole season because you didn't trade for Russ, like, this is what we're supposed to believe, like, I just don't think that that's true, and, like, so I think ultimately this kind of stuff does come down on, you know, on Polinka and also on ownership for refusing, for cheaping out on the Alex Caruso thing where, you know, for not, for Polinka and ownership for not trying to keep Dennis Schroeder, a player that they had bird rights on. Again, like, if you keep Caruso, you keep Schroeder, like, those are guys that you can go over the cap to re-sign, and then you're not as handcuffed at the trade deadline as they were where they're trying to trade an underperforming THT you know, a five years away, you know, basically they're trying to trade an eighth grader in that five years away, you know, first round pick. And uh, Kendrick Nunn, who is basically like Bigfoot, like we haven't seen him all season. And so, 
you know, if you have a couple more of those mid-sized contracts that you can deal, you know, then you have more options available to improve the team at the deadline than they did where they ended up basically having to stand pat because every other team knew that they were desperate and were trying to gouge them. And if you have a couple players that other teams can talk themselves into helping, then maybe you're able to get some more traction on some of these with those picks involved. Who, and I find this very interesting, if, well, let's say that they decide to not get Russ, they run it back, Dennis Schroeder, Caruso, they don't trade Kuzma, uh, they keep KCP. But that's the thing, you could have gotten Russ and you could have had, you could have had Schroeder and, uh, and Caruso. Like, you could have kept all three of those guys, and there were people this summer that were like, well, yeah, but then you're not going to get Kendrick Nunn. And it's like, well, Kendrick Nunn hasn't played this season, <laughs> even if I'd still rather have those other guys, you know, than even, even Malik Monk, who's been good. Like, I'd still rather have, like, Dennis and Caruso and, like, Russ in the backcourt than, like, you know, Russ and Monk and Nunn, you know? Or, or how does this team look if they, uh, instead of Russ, they get Buddy healed? They, they do that trade. Yeah, so, I mean, Buddy's been mostly bad this year, in my understanding, so, like, I don't know that that necessarily fixes it, but the one thing that that does do is it gives you a player that fits a little bit better alongside your stars, and you get to keep KCP in that deal, so, like, that's not nothing for sure. Maybe, you know, with, like, the somewhat lessened cost, they keep Caruso. I don't, I, again, this stuff is so hard to project backwards and kind of, like, know what would have happened in these kind of alternate realities for sure. But I do think that there is a world where that ends up being better. But that said, like, you know, the biggest problem this year has still been health. So, like, even if they trade for Buddy Heald, like, you know, if LeBron and AD miss as much time as they do, this team is still screwed anyway. You know, it's not like, again, like, they're real, like, kind of other flaws, but a lot of this does still come down to health, as much of a, as a cop-out as that is, and as much as I don't think this team should just be like, well, would have been fine if Kendrick Nunn and, and had just stayed healthy all year or whatever. Like, no, I mean, I don't think that that's the answer either, but, uh, you know, if you're missing LeBron and AD as much as they have, then that's going to make a big impact on your team negatively. Is this Lakers team more disappointing than that Kobe, Steve Nash, Gasol, Dwight Howard Lakers team? You know, honestly, I think it's hard to say, but in the mo- and this is a little bit prisoner of the moment, but I would have to say yes, I think, just because, you know, like Russ came in, like Russ hasn't missed any time. Like Steve Nash, they brought in, and he was already hurt, and, you know, he was hurt by the, the second game of the preseason or whatever it was, and then or second game of the regular season, I think. I'm, like, hazy on that. I just remember he collided with Damian Lillard and was just never the same again. Uh, You know, you had Dwight Howard coming into that season injured, all that stuff. Like, that team was older. Kobe ended up kind of driving it. Like, but that team was also, you know, in real contention for, like, the 8th, 7th seed, whatever. Like, as disappointing as they were, they still had some stretches of, like, really, really good basketball, including arguably, like, the best, like, 10 to 15 game stretch of Kobe's career from, like, a scoring and dishing and, like, when he just took over and he said, no, 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 we're getting to the playoffs. Like, this team has not had any stretch where they've been as successful as that Lakers team has been. You know, at least in my mind, maybe the numbers, you know, I don't know who we could go and look at stretches of their record, but, you know, just recollection-wise off the top of my head, I don't think that this team has been as good at any point as that team was. This team has mostly just underperformed because they've been bad, whereas that team at least did have a more legitimate health excuse, I think. Especially once they lost Kobe for the year. Yeah, and that team finished well above 500. This team, uh, we're not so sure. That's what I mean. Like, that team was better than this team. As bad as they were and as disappointing as they were, that team was better than this team. The only argument for that team being, 
you know, worse or more disappointing or, you know, a worse decision-making, whatever, was all the picks that they sent out. Like, you know, say what you will about the Russ experience and that kind of stuff. Like, at least they only attach the one first to that. You know, that is, it's not a situation where, you know, they're, they owe, like, seven, you know, pick swaps or whatever, like, whatever ridiculous stuff that they owe to, like, the Suns and Orlando and all these, like, they had all these outgoing picks that basically hamstrung them and they were barely protected, so they had to tank as much as possible to keep the D-Lo and Brandon Ingram and all those picks, so, and the Randall pick and Lonzo and all those things were, like, they had all these protections that they had to worry about for years, like, this trade... You know, even if, you know, this season ends up being tanked, it's not necessarily, like, screwing them for, like, five years down the line, which is something that they probably were factoring into their calculus of the deadline in not wanting to make a move to give up that 2027 first for something that probably wouldn't fix this mess anyway. So, there's been a lot of reporting about this team. First, I want to get into this one. Uh, So, there was one report that LeBron wields more power within the Lakers than Kobe Bryant ever did. Is that, what do you think of that? I mean, you know, I, I don't know because I wasn't covering the team at the time that, you know, Kobe was we, uh, that Kobe was really wielding power around like a winning, you know, meaningful team. Obviously, he had a tremendous amount of say, you know, those last couple years when they were, you know, when he was kind of playing up the stretch of his career. But that was not like a team of stakes, so it's hard to really say. Like, I mean, yeah, like he wanted Carlos Boozer and stuff like that, but like that, you know, that didn't hurt the team that much if they were like getting guys like that, whatever. Like, I mean, you know... It's hard to say, but the, the funniest part of that whole thing to me, and my um, my friend Sam Quinn of CBS pointed this out today, is like, you know, there's that leak of like, like yeah, like LeBron has more power than Kobe ever did. Like, you know who the, the team's GM is that's like theoretically complaining about this, right? It's Kobe's old agent, Rob Polinka. Like, this just means that Rich Paul, you're admitting that Rich Paul is better at his job than you are, than you were, you know? Like, <laughs> That was the amusing thing about that to me, was like, oh, yeah, LeBron, we, like, Kobe never could have wielded all this power. It's like, you know, who could have gotten him maybe a little more power? You know, better agent. I don't know. Like, you know, who's the thing? And also, and that segues to this, so, a pair so clutch, and the Lakers, they're, they're not on good terms at the moment? I mean, everyone's denying that now. Like, you know, Rich Paul has went on the record multiple times to deny this reporting. I believe Rob Polinka even went on the record with Shams, but, like, you know, there's a thing where, like, if everyone's having to deny that, like, oh, we're having a risk, like, you know, I don't know. Like, that was out there for a reason. And LeBron was being extremely passive-aggressive, almost to the point of being aggressive-aggressive throughout All-Star Weekend in his praise of other GMs and the flirting with Cleveland and, oh, I'm going to go leave with Bronny. Like, how much of that is manufacturing leverage versus real threats? I don't know. But, you know, there's clearly some issues here. And I think that most of this, I was talking about this on uh, on the radio earlier today, like, I think a lot of this stems back to, you know, when Rob Palenka said, you know, we're all in complete alignment like we always are right after the trade deadline. I don't know if you caught that quote where they asked him, like, if LeBron and AD were okay with this. And he's like, oh, we're all in total alignment. LeBron is a guy that created his own kind of media company called Uninterrupted so that he could tell his own story and other athletes could tell their own story without being taken out of context, could speak for themselves. This is something that throughout LeBron's career has been really important to him to the point where, like, even if you ask him about something someone else has said, he's like, well, you know, I saw a couple tweets about that or whatever, but I don't want, I want to see the full context, the full video before I can respond to it type of stuff. This is something that's really important to him. And so why is that relevant? Because, you know, Rob Polinka spoke for him. And what, something that LeBron has shown, you know, throughout my time covering him with this team or whatever, one of the things that has seemed to irritate 
irritate him more than anything with teammates, with whoever, is when people are speaking for him. He really does not like that. He is a guy that wants to tell his own story, that wants to like it to be in his own words and his own for his own controlled media leaks, whatever. He does not want Rob Polinka out there saying, "Hey, we're in total alignment," especially when it's like. Maybe LeBron understood why they couldn't get a deal done. Maybe he understood that that was not like a reasonable thing to expect, but that doesn't mean he wasn't pissed about it. And then so for Rob to be like, hey, yeah, like those two guys signed up on not doing this. So now everyone that's mad at this, be mad at LeBron and AD too, which is tacitly what he was saying. I think that's really what pissed LeBron off. And I think that's why you're seeing him kind of go at Kalinka like this and go at the organization. Do you think there's irritation at all from the Lakers side of things that LeBron is, you know, flirting with Cleveland again? You know, I could potentially finish my career here. I'm going wherever Bronny goes. Do you think there's any irritation on the Lakers side of things? I think the, the, it, they've been, I think, more kind of exasperated than anything. It, like, just like, uh, you know, he's doing this again. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, we're not at war with him. Like, it, it is what I think right now they're just trying to downplay it and, you know, not make it a big deal, even though it's like, okay, you guys like leaking all this stuff about how responsible LeBron was or wasn't for the rough trade and for, you know, pushing for John Wall at the deadline, whatever. Like, you guys are the ones that helped kick this off. Like, you're not blameless in it, but they're sort of, I, I think everyone's trying to cool it down at this point before they have to, like, go and, you know, finish out the season and go back to talking to reporters every day. Like, I, I think, you know, LeBron, I, I think these tensions and these things always run high, but, like, ultimately, I don't think that he's going to spend the rest of the season, you know, praising every single opposing GM. As amusing as that would be, if, like, you know, he talks about, like, he, can you imagine if, like, they're, they're playing the Clippers next, if he just, like, next post game, just they're like, so, LeBron, what did you think allowed the Clippers to, like, beat you guys tonight or play so well? And it's like, well, they have an owner in Steve Ballmer that's really willing to spend, great executive in Jerry West, like, stuff like I, I honestly, I'm rooting for him to keep this going because it would be hilarious. But <laughs> I think at some point he's going to cool down and let it go until the offseason. Do you think LeBron would ever request a trade? So, I, do, I don't think that that's off the table. Like, I do think that he is genuinely irritated with how things have gone. And, look, if there's one thing that we've learned about LeBron in his career, like, this is something that uh, one of our writers is writing about for, like, tomorrow or later this week or whatever. Like, LeBron is, he is trying to win a ring for himself. And if he is on your team, then he's trying to win a ring for his team, for your team, whatever. But, like, ultimately, he is trying to accumulate as many you know, championships as he can. And if he feels like the Lakers do not give him the best chance to do that anymore, I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility that the both team, both sides come to the table this summer and they're like, hey, this just didn't work. You know, can you do right by me? Just send me back home to Cleveland type of thing. I don't think that that's off the table, but I don't think it's the most likely scenario necessarily. Would the Lakers even do that? Again, I don't think that it's off the table. Like, I don't know. This is not like reporting. I'm just like, yeah, you know, but they have always tried to be an organization that is seen as doing right by their stars. And they do not, if there's one thing that I'm comfortable the Lakers do not want, it's for this LeBron era to end with LeBron, you know, shit talking the organization for years, basically. It, like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't want, they wanted to be seen. Part of the big reason for the Kobe extension was we want to be seen as this place that does right by stars. We, you know, going back to when they gave Magic, that unprecedented, you know, 25-year, $25, $25 million contract back during, you know, his heyday. Like, they want to be seen as a place that takes care of stars. They don't particularly care about you that much. If you're a role player, like, we've seen that with the Marcus Gasol situation with, like, a lot of, you know, guys throughout the last couple of years, whatever, 
but they want to be seen as a very friendly place to stars, and ending things on toxic terms with LeBron would be really bad for that perception, and I think they're smart enough to try and avoid it. They want to be seen as the next place where the next disgruntled star, the next guy to leave in free agency, they're like, hey, LeBron's gone, I can come take this team. So, again, I think that if he went to them and said, hey, I'd really go like to play in Cleveland, can we, we, you know, we did everything we can here, can we just, like, try and make this work? I think that ultimately... They could come to that kind of agreement because they do want to be seen as that kind of franchise that takes care of their stars. But again, like with the events in the past week, who knows? Like, and I still don't think that that's the most likely option. Like, there's been a lot of pushback on the idea that he would ever leave, and I'm sort of inclined to buy some of that. But I don't think that it's completely off the table. How safe is Frank Vogel? Not safe at all. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think he's going to finish the season, but I think you know, I, I would, I, frankly, I would be completely shocked if he is not fired within a couple weeks of the season being over. Wow, so Frank's gone. So, so you think Frank, Frank's a dead man walking? Yeah, I mean, they, they need a scapegoat, and, like, he, he's going to be the first one to go. You know, I think, like, they're the, the first thing. You know, if you look at this, look at this from Rob Palenka and Kurt Rambis and all these, like, power brokers' perspectives. Like, you know, they're looking to remain employed. And how do you do that? You shift the blame for what went wrong. You're like, well, this coach just didn't use this brilliant roster that we put together right. So we got to fire him. And so, yeah, I mean, and again, I don't think that Frank has necessarily done himself a ton of favors with some of his decisions this year. But I, I, do, I don't think that he deserves as much blame as he was getting for much of the season until kind of the trade deadline came and went and then all this ire shifted to Rob Polinka or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think the only reason he wasn't replaced earlier this year was because they didn't have a, a candidate on the bench that they felt great about. In terms of Frank, and, you know, I, I find this interesting, why do you think it was, what was his infatuation with DeAndre Jordan to begin the season? Because I don't think that did him any favors either. Because I think everybody thought that no, was weird. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think Frank is always a guy that he comes at this from, like you look at the basketball environment that he came up in and that he first came to success in. You know, it was the big verticality-infused Roy Hibbert, you know, Paul George. You know, we want links and we want, you know, like challenges on every attempt at the basket. We just want a lot of size on the floor. And that was something that he had a lot of success with. And I think that sometimes, you know, when we analyze this stuff, we forget about some of the human elements of it and, like, how, you know, if you or I got really successful at something, doing one thing, and somebody was like, well, yeah, but there's this new way people are doing it that they need to do, like, we would not be immediately receptive to that, right? Like, we would be like, hey, you know, actually, like, you know, I came up, like, writing about the Lakers. Like, I don't think that necessarily I should turn my Lakers blog into, like, a celebrity news gossip or something site, but, like, that's not what I'm comfortable with. You know what I mean? Like, where, like, you know, if he's coming up with, uh, like, playing the, these big lineups with, like, big guys around the rim, trying to, like, basically, you know, just get contest on every single shot at the rim, like, I, I think, I, and you can see the logic behind, okay, we just want a wall of arms at the rim, Anthony Davis, DeAndre Jordan, whatever, but, like, D DJ was completely washed, but I think that Frank saw him as the best option in a group of failed options, and I think was not the happiest with the roster construction. And so I think that that's how you end up doing that kind of stuff. And I think some of it is, like, political. Like, you know, hey, we brought this guy in. Anthony Davis wanted him. Like, we're going to give him a real shot. And they, they gave him 20 games of rope, and he, you know, it, like, he took it and ran all the way off the cliff. And uh, and then, like, by, you know, two possessions into a random game against the Kings, Vogel was just like, yeah, I've seen enough. DJ's going to the bench to wipe his end, even though I told him he wasn't playing tonight. And... 
But yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, it goes back to size and wanting to play a certain way and believing in your defensive system over changing it to fit the personnel that you have better. What's the potential for an Anthony Davis trade in the offseason? I mean, it's like anything else. You never say never, like, especially if LeBron ends up asking out. But again, like, I think that ultimately what they're going to try and do, and both sides are going to decide it's the best option for all of them, is that they're going to try and reload this thing one more time around those two guys, uh, probably come to, like, a one-year extension with LeBron so that he can hit free agency, you know, when Bronny is coming in in the draft and stuff like that, and, you know, try and run it back with uh, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, you never say never. And, you know, maybe maybe LeBron it feels like he needs a new running mate and wants to see, you know, what Anthony Davis can get them on the trade market. And, you know, I don't know. But I, I wouldn't say that that's, like, the most likely scenario, especially because his value is going to be at, like, an all-time low after this season and how banged up and injured he was. How disappointing has AD been for you this year? I, I, to be honest, he hasn't been that disappointing for me because I feel like when he's been out there, he's played pretty well and has honestly, like, the guy that's gotten probably more blame than is deserved, like, more so than anyone, just because it's like, I mean, yeah, like, he was playing next to DJ, like, the whole season. Like, what? how did you expect him to get shot with the rim? And, like, once he finally was playing on the space floor and stuff, he looked like a monster again. And so, and then he gets hurt, and he's had, like, two freak injuries. So, yeah, I mean, it's been disappointing in the sense of, like, I feel kind of bad for him that this is going to continue to fuel this narrative that he's injury-prone and all these things when it was, like, two freak accidents. But, again, this kind of stuff also starts to build up after a while. And, you know, if you keep having freak injuries, like, it is time to start considering the question of, like, okay, is the way this guy plays leaving him more open to these kinds of accidents? And so... Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been that disappointing to me when he's been on the floor, but it is disappointing that he has not been able to play more. LeBron, he's been playing phenomenal this year. Top three, top five player in the NBA. How shocked have you been that he's still, like, what is he, 37? He's still maintaining this level of play. And how much longer can he keep this up? Like, next year, do you expect that for him to be 28-7-7? I mean, at this point, I think you almost have to, right? Like, he, you know, this is just what he does, I guess. It's like, it's unprecedented, and it's insane, and, you know, I'm amazed that we still get to watch it, even as bad as this season has been. It has been fun to watch LeBron and, you know, to watch him take on the challenge at center for a couple weeks and, you know, all of that stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's incredible. He, he, In my opinion, he's the greatest player to ever play, and I think that there are, you know, there are genuine criticisms to be had of some of the off-the-court things that he did to help get them in the situation this year and some of his, like, kind of, you know, his passive aggression over the last week, like, that's part of the experience. But, yeah, as a player, like, he's still unbelievable. Like you said, like, you know, on any – we saw it in the All-Star game down the stretch, you know. Like, when, when that team needed a bucket to go win, everybody cleared out for LeBron, Bill, at age 37. And I think that that is, again, like another testament to his kind of greatness. He, he may not – he doesn't do it every night. He doesn't exert the, the will and the effort on defense every single night anymore. But he is still, like, as gifted – of an offensive player as we've ever seen. What do you think allows him to be so still efficient at this age? Like, what do you think is it about him specifically in terms of his game that allows him to do that? I mean, some of it is the passing ability and the vision and, like, the supercomputer processor brain of, like, he's seen every single defensive coverage possible a million times and he knows how to play all of them. Uh, like, some of it is just, you know, like, the, the amount of maintenance that he's done on his body is, like, incredible. And, you know, there's been all the reports about, you know, he pours, like, $3 million or whatever a year into maintaining 
maintaining his body, maintaining his physical fitness on like all the around the clock physical therapy, all of these things. Like it's just, it, it is incredible the amount of commitment that he has made to staying in the best shape possible for as long as possible. And it makes sense, like when you consider, you know, that very clearly at this point his aims are becoming the leading scorer in NBA history and like playing with his son. And to do both of those things, you got to be able to stay on the floor. You got to keep playing at a high level and. He is, you know, through sheer force of will and pouring enough money into his body, he's been able to do that. Will the Lakers make the playoffs? Yes. Well, oh, wait, do you mean like... like the no, Lakers? no, they're going to... No, no, I'm talking about they're going to have to catch some bodies in the plan. Okay, okay. So you're saying, like, make the actual playoffs yes. end up in a series? Yes. I'm going to say yes. Because I think that, you know, still in a, in, you know, win or go home situations, like, I, I think that LeBron, like, against that level of team, I think it's still going to be enough to make the difference and kind of get you out of that. You know, things can always go wrong if they're leaving themselves with almost no margin for error because it looks like they're going to need to win two to move on versus one because I don't think that they're going to get up to that, like, uh, to that 7-8 seed range, so, which means you have to win twice, uh, potentially both times on the road if they slip all the way to 10. So you're not giving yourselves a lot of room for error, but I do think that ultimately, out of that, like, kind of four-game, there's no team that I'm like, oh, there's no way they could beat them in a one-game, you know, thing. How do you think they would do in a series against one of these top seeds out west? Uh, it depends on the team and it depends on the health situation because the thing is, like, you know, with, as much as, you know, you and I have just talked for the last half an hour or whatever about how disappointing this team has been, if they get into the playoffs with LeBron with LeBron still healthy, AD back, maybe they found some chemistry with Russ or they figured out some more ways to kind of use him, maybe he's, like, kind of recommitted. These are a lot of ifs, um, but... You also have, you know, Chris Paul. We don't know when he's going to be back, what he's going to look like for the Suns. Draymond Green, you know, the Warriors' most recent injury update was basically like he is planning to play basketball again at some undetermined point in the future. Uh, so, like, you, with those teams' injury situations, you don't know. Like, they're they're vulnerable. But, yeah, I would I would say, like, less than, like, 5% chance of them winning series. Jerry West, why is he so ostracized from the Lakers? So I think that this is like, it's complicated and it goes back decades, but I think ultimately it boils down to, you know, he is a guy that is extremely difficult to work with. I think that you can find that set of him anywhere he has ever worked. Um, just difficult person. This is well chronicled by him himself, including in his, like, uh, in his uh, really, like, uh, his really, like, candid and honest autobiography and, you know, in the book Showtime by Jeff Perlman. Like, this is detailed for a time. He's not an easy guy to work with, and he is, like, very, very, like, nervous and anxious and demanding and all these things. Like, I was reading, I've been reading that Showtime book in uh, preparation for the HBO series just to kind of catch up or whatever and uh, see what the book was so that I can compare it to the TV show. And Jerry West, like, this is a guy who once hired a private eye to tail one of his players, Norm Nixon, uh, like, while he was on the team because he was worried that his drug, that his alleged drug habits, which Norm, again, claims he never did, um, like, were affecting the team or whatever. And so this, he's, you know, a, a person like that is not easy to get along with. And then you factor in that, okay, so, like, who's in charge of the Lakers right now, ultimately? It's Jamie Buss. Now, Jerry West, when he was, you know, the GM of the Lakers, and they brought in Phil Jackson, did not like Phil, uh, was pretty open about that and also was really like kind of banging the drum of him and Jeannie should not be allowed to date. So if you are in this long time relationship, you end up getting engaged to this person and this 
guy who also worked at your company was like, this is inappropriate, this should never be allowed, like, is trying to basically break up your relationship by complaining about it so often to reporters on and off the record, to your dad, you know, who's also the owner of the team, all these things, like, that's going to leave you with some bad blood. And then you have him in the leaked voicemail to Kawhi's, like, agent calling Lakers a shit show, like, you know, you have all this stuff where he's kind of gone back and forth with them, and, like, I'm not surprised that that relationship is not in a good place, like, Frankly, the only thing that surprised me is that Jerry West was as open and honest about it, uh, like as he was in that athletic piece that I'm sure that you're mentioning. But I, I, to be honest, I get it from both sides. Like I get it from his perspective of like this is like kind of lame. Like the people they've empowered when I was right there and they've done all these things, you know. Like now they're taking my season tickets and whatever. But I also get it from their perspective of like uh, just on a human level, you know this guy was a jerk to me and you know now I'm not going to give him his lifetime season tickets or whatever and like again I think it's petty I think it's like extraordinarily lame the way that they did it if like that's actually what they did they just sent you know Jerry's wife a text and said hey no more season tickets whatever like you know but I I also get it like I get it even if I don't think this handled it very well how sad do you think it is, though? Because when you mentioned Lakers, and you mentioned this earlier, like, this is like the franchise of stars. They don't want to do anything to seem like they're not for their stars. And Jerry West, West, the logo, like, the guy, like, he's one of the greatest players ever that played for their franchise for so many years, and it's just kind of like to see that relationship deteriorate specifically. Yeah, I mean, no, it is sad. I mean, these are the kind of things where, like, you know, they're going to, like, they're going to do some, like, celebration of life for Jerry West whenever he ultimately passes. And it's going to feel hollow because of how they're treating him now. And, like, that that does suck. And, again, even if I'm saying that I get it, like, that, it just sucks. Like, you don't want to see people conflict like that. And you, like, you know, just, you look at that NBA 75 thing over the weekend and, like, he was in the photo with the Lakers greats. Like, all those guys should be welcome in the building whenever they want and, like, welcomed in with open arms. Like, they are the reason... Like, it's not, look, the Buck family have contributed an incredible amount to, like, to this franchise and its history, and Dr. Jerry Buck specifically, especially, you know, like, they have done a lot, but ultimately, it was those guys in that photo and the space that they left for Kobe and, like, all the players that made this team, the brand and the gigantic business that it is today, and, like, again, even if you don't agree with everything that, like, Jerry West has done, if you're Jeannie Buss or whatever, like, you know, you just think that you could find a way past that to kind of, like, bridge that gap and at least make it a cordial relationship, even if you're never going to be, like, best friends with the guy. Like, he should still be honored as a Lakers legend and traded as such. And I feel like all those guys should have have season tickets for life. Like, if you are a top 75 player in NBA history that plays for this franchise, the Lakers should welcome you into the building whenever you want. Like, That's not too much to ask. It really did. Yeah, it's not that much. I mean, they, look, he, he, he only built the place with his play and, like, and then he went on, like, you forget, like, when you talk about greatest Laker of all time, like, Jerry West has a legitimate argument, you know, between being their kind of, like, one of their first really, really great players, and then also, you know, his history as a GM, building multiple title teams in the front office. Like, this is a guy that is, like, uh, like uh, an inextricable part of the franchise history that, yeah, I mean, it's just sad to see where it is. Even if I sort of, like, I get why they're upset with him. I just think that you could probably handle it a little bit better than they are. So you think this is coming from Jeannie? Jeannie's just out. I, I don't think that it's, like, just Jeannie, but I do think that that is. Look, I mean, that has to be a factor, yeah. right? He doesn't have many advocates I mean, in the room. Else? Like, they always tell you when you apply for a job, make sure you have advocates in the room when they're talking about you. He doesn't have any advocates. There's nobody saying, well, but here's the good thing about yeah, Jerry. Nobody, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, I don't think that there's anybody in the organization, like, banging the table, like, no, 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 we got to let this guy 
I will go to bat for Jerry type of thing. And, like, that's including, like, long-time employees who probably worked with him. Like, you know, I, I think that, again, like, I, I'm not trying to make him out to be, like, this, like, horrible person or anything, but I think he was very difficult to work with. And I don't, I think that, you know, with his shock with the organization, like, and, and those kind of things and the Kawhi stuff and whatever, like, I don't think that he has a lot of fans left inside the building. That's, that's so, like, fair. Yeah, I mean, if you, look, if Jerry Butt promised him season tickets for life, you think that they're not running that by Jeannie before they take those away? Like, <laughs> you know? No, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, she, she, there's no way that that was not signed off on by ownership, like something like that. I completely agree. There, there's no way. I mean, the, belt, the buck stops with her, so there's absolutely no way. Harrison, thank you for coming on the show, yeah, man. Like, I, if, she was, if she was that upset about this and this decision was made without her consent, We'd have already heard about Jerry West being offered tickets. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. I definitely get what you mean. I, I, I completely understand it. Thanks again for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. And once again, I want to thank Harrison Fagan for coming on the show. I really appreciate him spending some time out of his day to come on and talk some Lakers basketball. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 397th episode of... Barbershop Sports Talk.